from across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading the Aero Society podcast from the Royal Aeronautical Society. Good evening. <clears throat> Firstly, I would like to thank the Royal Aeronautical Society for the invitation to speak here this evening. I will be speaking on the evolving Russian air threat to the United Kingdom and its implications. I'll firstly discuss the Russian interest in and its thinking on the development of a long-range strike capability, a central component of Moscow's long-term military modernization efforts. Proceeding from this, I'll provide an overview of Russia's investment in air, sea and ground-launched long-range strike systems, its bomber force modernization and projected future air systems, namely the Sukhoi 57 fifth-generation combat aircraft, the Tupolev 160M2 modernized blackjack, and the Pakdar prospective strategic bomber, plus the new Okhotnik Hunter unmanned combat air vehicle. Finally, I'll consider the implications of Russia's growing long-range strike capabilities for the UK, including the consequences of an enhanced Russian ability to project power, coerce, and its focus on the opening phase of hostilities and how to respond to this threat. In this respect, I will discuss potential options for countering the evolving Russian air threat, including operational approaches, capability requirements, and perhaps most importantly, deterrence. A Russian interest in long-range precision strike is not new. Marshal Nikolai Ogarkov, the chief of the Soviet general staff in the late 1970s and early 1980s, argued that a revolution in military affairs, including the advent of precision-guided munitions employed by the US in Vietnam, would undermine Soviet numerical superiority. Building on existing Soviet thought on deep battle, that is, a strategic concept of focused on terminating, overwhelming, or dislocating enemy forces, not only at the line of contact, but throughout the depth of the battlefield, Ogarkov believed that precision strike could have a decisive impact on future war. <coughs> The influence of Ogarkov on contemporary Russian thinking toward long-range strike and the development of a conventional strategic deterrent capability can be discerned. U.S. and Allied employment of precision-guided munitions in Operation Desert Storm, the first Gulf War, in 1991, provided a proof of concept. It's the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency's 2017 report, Russia Military Power Explains. Former Soviet officials and Russian authorities argued that the Desert Storm campaign demonstrated the capability of precision-guided airstrikes in the land attack role to paralyze the rear area and an adversary's economy. Targets could include vulnerable areas of the economy, command and control centers, and transportation centers. The introduction of precision-guided munitions changed the nature of modern war by reinforcing traditional concepts that emphasised decisive action during the initial stage of warfare. In 1999, Major General Vladimir Slipchenko developed a classification of warfare, creating six categories or generations encompassing ancient through to advanced precision warfare and suggested that the latest sixth-generation wars would be denoted by offensive aerospace operations led by UAVs preceded by electronic warfare operations and only a supporting role for ground forces. And in 2003, the Russian Ministry of Defence published 
a key report entitled The Priority Tasks of the Development of the Armed Forces of the Russian Federation, which was distributed at a conference held in Moscow that, in, in October of that year under the auspices of President Putin himself and the Defence Ministry, which brought together key figures from across the military security establishment. The priority tasks placed much greater emphasis on aerospace and maritime forces conducting long-range precision strike operations, or as this report termed, long-range fire for effect, targeting an adversary's critical infrastructure and prioritising information warfare. The priority tasks states, these are just some key points from it, the main objectives of defeating and routing the opponent will be decided not by large masses of infantry and tanks clashing with each other, but mainly via long-range fire engagement. It does warrant mention that Russia's traditional focus on land power wasn't omitted, although gaining air supremacy and massive application of precision weapons are decisive in determining the outcome of armed struggle. They do not dispense with massive ground operations mounted by land forces. Significantly, the priority tasks also states special consideration is given to the ability of troops to ensure a speedy knocking out of the opponent's infrastructure of political and economic administration, as well as its systems of communications and electronic countermeasures. And this is indicative of a growing interest in the targeting of critical infrastructure. Specifically, in terms of conflict with NATO, in the period up to 2030, the uh, priority tasks outline specifics of possible military operations in the Western strategic sector. One, operations will have a multidimensional character and fighting will be done in the air, outer space, at sea and on land. Principal objectives will be met prior to contact of advanced units through long-range fire for effect. Point two refers to mixed manned units, conscripts and contract servicemen, so I've omitted it. Three, fire for effect will become the decisive strategic factor. Four, in the period up to 2030, there will be a massive increase in the number of warfare means capable of delivering fire without making contact with the opponent's weapons. Finally, five, in the course of military operations, the opponent's strikes will not be limited to troops and military targets, but will also affect the country's economy, complete with its infrastructure, civilian population, and practically the whole territory. The final point referring to the scope and scale of the opponent's strikes is notable, as it suggests implicitly the level of threat Russia needs to pose in response. And in this regard, the priority tasks also defines the concept of de-escalation, which has been subject to much debate recently. De-escalation of aggression, forcing the enemy to halt military action by a threat to deliver or by actual delivery of strikes of varying intensity with reliance on conventional and or nuclear weapons. And the bold emphasis is from the original document. The development of a robust, long-range precision strike capability is central to Russia's ongoing military modernization efforts and how it perceives a way of securing victory in any war. In 2013, Colonel Chekhanov and Lieutenant General Bogdanov, writing in Military Fort, the journal of the Russian Ministry of Defense, 
on the nature and content of the new generation war state. Intensive fire strikes against seats of national and military power and also military and industrial objectives by all arms of the service and deployment of military space-based system, electronic warfare forces and weapons, electromagnetic, information, infrasound and psychotronic effects, corrosive chemical and biological formulations in new generation wars will erode to the greatest extent possible the capabilities of the adversary's troops and civilian population to resist. Moreover, and this is a key point, Bogdanov and Chekhanov suggest the opening period will be the pivotal and critical time of the war and will break down into a targeted information operation, an electronic warfare operation, an aerospace operation, continuous air force harassment, the use of high-precision weapons launched from various platforms, long-range artillery, and weapons based on new physical principles to strike at enemy targets in all areas, practically the full length and width of enemy territory. In this context, Major General Nikolai Vaganov, then Deputy Chief of Russian Armed Forces' Main Armament Research and Development Department, writing on armaments and military equipment development through 2020 for the Russian Defence Industrial Periodical Military Parade in 2009, suggested the essence of the aerospace offensive operations will be in the delivery of massed precision strikes on the armed forces and all vital economic assets of the adversary within the whole depth of its territory to deny it the ability in the shortest possible time to strike back and resist in an orderly manner. Ultimately, Russia sees long-range precision strike systems as potentially offering in the long term, a means to reduce its reliance on nuclear weapons and strategic deterrence. In March of this year, the Chief of the General Staff, Valery Garasimov, stated, in the long term, an increase of capacities of high-precision weapons, including hypersonic ones, will allow the moving of the main part of strategic deterrence to the non-nuclear sector from the nuclear one. This should not, however, be taken as suggesting that Russia intends to divest itself of nuclear weapons, but rather that a conventional long-range strike capability is seen as offering a credible complement to its strategic nuclear forces. In the context of Russia's growing long-range strike capabilities, the majority of the systems being deployed are dual-capable, that is, conventional and nuclear and results in a blurring of the distinction between conventional and nuclear weapons. And this brings with it the problem of discrimination, which I will touch upon again in due course. And this is compounded by Russian exercises, which include scenarios involving nuclear use and its concept of de-escalation. The importance attached to a long-range strike capability can be discerned by the number of systems currently either in development or being deployed with the Russian armed forces. And here is a summary of just some of the most notable systems that are either operational or known to be in an advanced state of development, or at least fully supported. Russia's growing arsenal of air, ship and submarine-launched missiles 
alongside a nascent ground-launched cruise missile and air-launched ballistic missile capability, poses a significant multi-axis threat to the UK. Moreover, in the mid to long term, the development of fifth generation manned and unmanned air systems, namely the Sukhoi 57, Pakdar, and Ochotnik, will pose a further threat to the UK. The Russian Air Force, formerly a branch of the Aerospace Forces, is in the midst of efforts to deploy an extensive long range precision strike capability. This is focused on providing its existing Tupolev 95 Bear. Tupolev 160 Blackjack and Tupolev 22 M3 Backfire bombers with a standoff precision strike capability encompassing subsonic, low observable cruise missiles, supersonic and hypersonic missiles, the X-50, X-101, XMT, X-47M2 Kinjal and GZUR respectively. Further, the Sukhoi-34 tactical strike aircraft and MiG-31 Foxhound interceptor are receiving a long-range strike capability via the integration of the X-50 cruise missile and the X-47M2 Kinjal, respectively. In brief, the X-101, designated by NATO the AS-23A, is an extended range, 4,500 kilometre, low-observable subsonic conventionally armed cruise missile, a 5,000-kilometre range nuclear variant, the X-102 AS-23B, is also being deployed. This is developed to replace the current X-55 AS-15 Kent air-launched cruise missile. The X-101 entered service sometime in the 2010s, with series production possibly commencing in around 2010 or 11. It equips the Blackjack, Bear, and potentially the Backfire and was used operationally for the first time in Syria in November 2015. A shorter-range derivative, the X-50, range of 1,500 to 2,000 kilometres, utilising the guidance system developed for the X-101, has also been developed, and this has been sized to fit the internal base of the Bear and Backfire. And it will likewise equip the Bear, Backfire, Blackjack, and the Sukhoi 34. Notably... Both the X-101 and X-50 are reportedly equipped with an active electronic jammer and towed decoys to enhance survivability. Russia is also developing two air-launched supersonic cruise missiles, the X-32 and the XMT. The X-32 is a comprehensively upgraded replacement for the X-22 AS-4, a heavyweight anti-ship missile equipping the backfire. The X-32 features an increased range of 1,000 kilometres. The X-22 has a range of 510 and can be armed with conventional or nuclear warhead. It is believed to be capable of high supersonic speeds in the region of Mach 3 to Mach 4.5 and has a secondary land attack capability. It is also developing the XMT, which is reportedly a 1,000-kilometre range weapon designed to fit strategic bombers. Russia also possesses a nascent hypersonic strike capability following the deployment last December of the Kinjal, announced by President Putin in his 1st of March 2018 speech. The Kinjal is an air-launched derivative of the Iskander tactical ballistic missile with a range of 2,000 kilometres, a speed reportedly of Mach 10, and capable again of delivering either a conventional or nuclear warhead.
the Foxhound, 10 of which are currently reportedly operational with the Kinjar. It is also reported that the Backfire will be upgraded to carry the Kinjar. Foxhounds can carry a single weapon, whilst the Backfire will likely carry two to four missiles. There have also been reports over a number of years that an air-launched ballistic missile was under development to equip the flanker family of aircraft, the Sukhoi-30, Sukhoi-35 and Sukhoi-34. Another air-launched hypersonic cruise missile, the GZUR, deriving from the Russian for hypersonic guided missile, and capable of a reported speed of Mach 6 with a range of 1,500 kilometres and designed to fit the internal bomb bay of a bear, is reportedly potentially to enter service around 2020. Although, alongside its investment in advanced air-launched weapons, Russia is also working to upgrade its existing Bear, Backfire and Blackjack bombers. The modernised Backfire, which was rolled out earlier this year, designated Tupolev-22M3M, will reportedly regain an air-to-air refuelling capability, which was eliminated as part of US-Soviet arms control agreements which, together with the potential integration of the X-101 cruise missile, will enable the backfire to operate in the strategic strike role. The operational reach of a backfire with the X-101 would, depending on mission profile, for example, potentially exceed 8,000 kilometres. Current plans call for 30 backfires to be upgraded out of a current force of of around 60 the Russian Air Force currently operates around 60 Bears, 16 Blackjacks, and 61 Backfire Bombers. It intends to resume production of the Blackjack, a heavily upgraded variant designated Tupolev 160 M2, in 2021, and intends to acquire at least 50 of these new aircraft. And the avionics and other systems under development for this upgraded Blackjack will be utilised in the upgraded backfire. Following on from the Tupolev 160M2, Russia also intends to start production of a next-generation long-range bomber, the PAK-DAR, from the Russian for Prospective Aviation Complex for Long-Range Aviation in the late 2020s. The PAK-DAR is envisioned to be a subsonic, flying-wing, low-observable bomber with a range in excess of 9,000 miles, and will be armed with a variety of advanced weapons, including long-range cruise missiles, hypersonic missiles, and potentially including an air-to-air capability. It will also operate as an airborne command post and provide reconnaissance capabilities. And this reflects Russian thinking on the development of precision strike capabilities, a key component of which is the reconnaissance strike system. In this regard, Russia is also developing a number of unmanned air systems which are likely to contribute to its I-STAR and long-range strike capabilities. Of particular note is the Sukhoi Ochotnik, or Hunter, a contract for which was awarded in 2011. The Ochotnik is believed to be a 20-ton unmanned combat air vehicle employing a flying wing configuration bearing resemblance to the American X-47B with a potential range of 3,500 kilometres. Taxi trials reportedly began this month, and a first flight is due sometime next year. The Okotnik is also intended to serve as the basis for a sixth-generation air capability. If successful, the Tupolev 160M2, the Pakdar, and the Okotnik 
and other UCAF programs will provide Russia with a considerably enhanced airborne long-range strike capability. However, it remains to be seen whether the Russian economy and defence industrial base can deliver what is required. And in this context, I'll briefly mention the Sukhoi 57. Although not as low observable as the American F-22 or F-35, the Sukhoi 57 will potentially provide Russia with a valuable day one stealthy aircraft capable of operating within an adversary's defended airspace. It will be capable of delivering a variety of weapons from its internal base, including an advanced cruise missile, potentially designated X-59 MK2, with a range of around 290 kilometres, the Drell, a GLONASS-guided glide bomb, and the R-37M, a 300-kilometre range air-to-air missile. The combat radius perhaps approaching 1,600 kilometres, Sukhoi 57s operating out of, for example, the Russian exclave of Kaliningrad, could pose a threat to UK targets or aircraft operating within UK airspace. Again, it remains to be seen how many Sukhoi 57s will be built and whether the aircraft can provide the capability sought. Enduring economic and industrial constraints have and continue to significantly limit Russia's ability to modernise and re-equip its armed forces. And in the case of the Russian Navy, for example, this has resulted in a tempering of ambitions, which, for example, a decade ago were focused on very grandiose plans for multiple nuclear-powered aircraft carriers, cruisers, amphibious warships and the like. However, in the short to mid-term, in part due to economic constraints and the likely influence of those in the Russian military establishment who remain sceptical of the need for investment in major naval surface capabilities, emphasis has shifted to the construction of small surface combatants. Together with the development of a calibre, a 1,500 to 2,500-kilometre range cruise missile, and the UK SK modular vertical launch system. This has provided foundation for a significant expansion in Russia's naval long-range strike capabilities, including equipping sub-1,000-ton corvettes with a long-range strike capability. It's demonstrated in the Caspian Flotilla's October 2015 strikes on Syria. The development of a naval long-range strike capability is a key component of the Russian Navy's long-term modernisation efforts. In 2014, the then Commander-in-Chief of the Russian Navy, Admiral Viktor Cherkov, announced that the Navy would contribute to a conventional strategic deterrent force centred on the new Granay and modernised Oscar II nuclear-powered guided missile submarines, Lada-class diesel-electric subs and surface ships. And here is a list of all current and projected Russian submarines and surface ships armed with calibre. Uh, the LIDAR-class nuclear-powered destroyer and the Project 22350M are the only vessels on that list not yet under construction or in service. By the mid to late 2020s, the Russian Navy will operate around 50 calibre-armed 
corvettes and light frigates alone, the majority of which will be deployed in European waters or the Caspian Sea. The delivery of small surface combatants to particularly the Baltic and Black Sea fleets and the Caspian flotilla, together with Russia's anti-access area denial bubbles based on Kaliningrad in the Baltic and Crimea in the Black Sea, will allow the establishment of what will effectively be bastions from operating areas under cover of extensive land-based anti-ship and surface-to-air missile defences and land-based air power, the Russian Navy's missile-armed ships could launch strategic strikes across Europe. The US Defence Intelligence Agency's aforementioned report on Russian military power summarised the impact of the introduction of calibre in these terms. The most consequential development is that Russia plans to deploy calibre capability on all new design construction nuclear and non-nuclear submarines, corvettes, frigates and larger surface ships. Calibre provides even modest platforms such as corvettes with significant offensive capability and with the use of land attack missiles all platforms have a significant ability to hold distant fixed ground targets at risk using conventional nuclear using conventional warheads sorry. The proliferation of this capability within the new Russian Navy is profoundly changing its ability to deter, threaten, or destroy adversary targets. Moreover, a naval variant of the X-101 is reportedly under development, in particular to equip the new Granet class of submarine, whilst a conventionally armed version of the SSN-23 Seneva submarine-launched ballistic missile has also been reported, ostensibly armed with a conventional warhead of about two tonnes to engage targets in high-precision non-nuclear conflict. This would provide Russia with an extremely potent capability, but would pose substantial risks in terms of escalation control. Conventionally armed ballistic missiles, although very promising in terms of speed of response and reduced vulnerability to interception, are inherently high risk due to the potential for misunderstanding and escalation. Put simply, how could a conventionally armed Sineva launched from a submarine be discernible from a nuclear-armed Sineva also launched from a submarine? The Russian Navy is also close to deploying a hypersonic cruise missile capability with its 3K-22 Sircon. The Sircon is is reportedly being developed by the company also responsible for the in-service Onyx, SSN-26, and will include air, ground, submarine, and ship-launched variants. Existing launchers compatible with the Onyx, for example, the UKSK vertical launch system equipping surface ships, will be capable of launching the Sircon. This missile reportedly commenced flight testing in 2015, and is intended to attain high supersonic to hypersonic speeds, that is, about Mach Mach 4.5 to Mach 6, although there were unconfirmed reports last year that in testing the missile achieved a speed of Mach 8. As with the Onyx, it is likely the Zircon will include a land attack capability in addition to its anti-ship role, and will have a range of between 500 to 1,000 kilometres, And just this morning, TASS reported that the missile is due to commence testing from Russian ships and submarines next year with the Russian Pacific Fleet. 
As part of its wider efforts to develop a long-range strike capability, Russia has developed a variety of ground-launched systems that either already violate the INF Treaty or provide a rapid breakout capability. The INF Treaty bans the US and Russia from possessing ground-launched ballistic and cruise missiles with a range of 500 to 5,500 kilometers. The system named by the US particularly as violating the INF Treaty, the SSC-8, is believed to be a ground-launched variant of the caliber. Russia thus far is believed to have deployed one battalion of the SSC-8, and if deployed at the Luga missile base in western Russia, a two and a half thousand kilometer range cruise missile could target any point within the British mainland. Russia is all also possesses a, a developmental intercontinental ballistic missile, the RS-26 Rubej, which is a two-stage derivative of its three-stage YARS ICBM. And this may also represent an INF breakout system. The Rubej has been tested in a single warhead configuration to a range of 5,800 kilometers and thus qualifies as an ICBM. However, if armed with multiple warheads and is believed to be capable of delivering three to four MIRVs, the missile's effective range would be within prohibited INF limits. The SS-20, the principal Soviet intermediate-range ballistic missile deployed in the 1980s and eliminated under the INF, was similarly a two-stage derivative of the three-stage SS-16 ICBM and the SS-20 Mod 3, in a single warhead configuration, had a range of 7,500 kilometres. There is uncertainty surrounding the RS-26. It was reportedly due for deployment in 2015. This was postponed twice, and earlier this year it was reportedly cancelled. But there is much speculation that the system will reappear if the INF Treaty collapses and restrictions on IRBMs are lifted. And I think if the INF Treaty does indeed collapse, it is likely Russia will opt to, to deploy conventionally armed Rubej missiles equipped with a guided manoeuvring re-entry vehicle to, for precision strikes against land and maritime targets akin to the Chinese DF-26 intermediate-range ballistic missile. It is also likely that the development of a hypersonic glide vehicle based on the avant-garde but for sub-strategic ranges, is also likely. And this would provide Russia with a robust, long-range precision strike capability, although again raising the issue of discrimination. I would also not be surprised to see if a ground-launch variant of the X-101 appear. This would provide Russia with a means of prosecuting targets across the entire European theatre, including the UK and Iceland, from deep within Russian territory, thus reducing vulnerability to counterforce targeting. The array of ballistic and cruise missile systems either already deployed with or under development for the Russian armed forces will provide a significant qualitative enhancement to Russia's ability to project power. In particular, the combination of multi-platform, long-range, low-observable subsonic supersonic and hypersonic cruise missiles, air-launched ballistic missiles, and if, as appears likely, the INF Treaty does collapse, to be potentially joined in the midterm by medium and intermediate-range ballistic missiles, 
providing a multi-axis attack capability provides Russian policymakers with a considerable degree of choice and options for employment. Moreover, the entry into service in the next decade of the PAKDA, the Sukhoi 57, and the Okhotnik, stealthy aircraft capable of operating within an, air ad an adversary's defended airspace, will further enhance Russia's ability to conduct long-range strikes and provide additional air defense challenges. The coordinated multi-axis strikes conducted in Syria, utilizing air, ground, and sea-launched missile systems, including the X-555, X-101, Caliber, and Onyx, provide an unambiguous strategic message to the West concerning Russia's strategic capabilities and the manner in which Rus the Russian military could operate in a major war. In the context of a conflict with NATO, for example, Russia can hold at risk key airfields, ports and naval facilities, fuel and munition storage sites, and transportation nodes across Europe and the UK, which would be critical to countering Russian military operations in the Euro-Atlantic theatre. Russian long-range strike assets are capable of prosecuting targets across Europe and the UK from within Rus Russian territory or operating in areas in waters under the protective umbrella of shore-based air defence and air force units. In this regard, the range of the X-101, for example, would enable Russian aircraft to conduct strikes against targets across Europe from within Russian airspace. To illustrate this, the 4,500-kilometre range of the X-101 would enable a bear operating out of Engels Air Base in central Russia to strike any target in Europe, including Keflavik Air Base on Iceland, from within the vicinity of this base. This enables the generation of a higher sortie rate than would typically be expected for strategic bomber operations and allows the bombers to operate within airspace protected by surface-to-air missiles and fighter aircraft. The ability to prosecute large-scale, long-range strikes from within Russian territory, airspace and surrounding waters, and in the case of its submarines, a term applicable to the seas around Europe, plus a Russian focus on the strategic strike role of cruise missiles, together with the importance attached to the opening period of hostilities, suggests that Russia would utilise its long-range strike assets as the core element of an, of an initial offensive. Katarzyna Zisk, director of research of the Norwegian Institute for Defence Studies, wrote in the Rusi Journal earlier this year, a long-standing feature in Russia's strategic culture with its focus on and perceived vulnerability to preemption and escalation dominance, seizing strategic initiative through surprise or counter-surprise, deception, superiority in military force and firepower, and decisiveness of action among central means to gain an advantage over an adversary. Given that Russia would wish to avoid a long conflict and the emphasis on targeting econ economic and communications infrastructure, it can perhaps be assumed that Russian long-range strike operations would potentially be focused on disrupting and degrading NATO members' economic foundations and transportation systems as much as traditional military targets. And this also highlights the potential that Russia could employ its long-range strike assets as a coercive instrument alongside or in support of political, economic and activist-based pressure to compel target states to do Moscow's bidding. This is a telegram sent to Anthony Eden 
on the 5th of November 1956 at the height of the Suez Crisis and provides, I think, a useful example of Russian coercion. In what position would Britain have found herself if she herself had been attacked by more powerful states possessing every kind of modern destructive weapon? And for our countries now, which need not have sent a navy or air force to the coasts of Britain, but could have used other means such as rocket technique, we are fully determined to crush the aggressors and restore peace in the East through use of force. In a future crisis, the UK could again find itself subject to Russian coercive messaging with an explicit threat of both conventional precision strikes and nuclear attack, as Chekhinov and Bogdanov suggested in their 2013 piece on future conflict. The enemy may be swayed in his resolve by demonstration of a readiness in response to a threat of attack of a Russian defensive force to be deployed to the area of anticipated aggression. A strongly worded statement with a warning of immediate nuclear retaliation against the threat arising to the country's sovereignty and integrity during the war and of unrestrained use of high-precision weapons to destroy the enemy's nuclear power plants, chemical industry plants and major hydropower projects on the potential aggressor's territory and preparation and conduct of an information operation expressly to mislead the enemy about Russia's readiness to fight off aggression. The reference in this quotation to the use of an explicit nuclear threat at the outset of a crisis is notable and again highlights the central role of nuclear weapons in Russian thinking, despite its growing interest in the development of a conventional strategic deterrent capability. Together with the concept of de-escalation, Russian thinking on the use, whether for messaging or in combat, of nuclear weapons is an area of significant concern. Major General Vaganov, in his aforementioned article, listed as an aim for military modernization with reference to the naval strategic nuclear forces. Their ability to inflict predetermined damage to the military and economic centers of the adversary with conventional precision-guided and non-strategic nuclear weapons. Most importantly, the threat posed by Russia's growing long-range strike capabilities highlights the requirement for a robust deterrent posture. This will require investment in persistent, robust and resilient intelligence, surveillance, target acquisition and reconnaissance, enhanced air and missile defence, electronic warfare and counterforce capabilities, the hardening of potentially vulnerable facilities and developing concepts for dispersed operations. In addition, civil, military, national and international cooperation to enhance the resilience of transportation, communications and energy systems and promote wider economic resilience will also be required in light of the Russian focus on targeting those areas. In military terms, responding to the challenge posed by Russia's long-range strike capabilities will require a balance of anti-submarine, anti-surface, anti-air and precision strike capabilities in order to counter both the missile threats themselves and the launch platforms. Counterforce targeting may not always be possible due to first the Russian focus on the initial phase of hostilities and second the extended range nature 
of some of the threat systems, in particular the X-101. Although the Washington-based Center for Strategic and Budgetary Assessments, for example, has advocated the development of extended-range air-to-air missiles as part of a multi-layered missile defense capability. In this context, defending against a multi-axis attack, including low-observable cruise missiles and potentially manned or unmanned aircraft, will require a multifaceted approach. A distributed approach to battle space surveillance incorporating manned and unmanned systems, including persistent I-star platforms, perhaps, for example, a suitably configured air land or hybrid air vehicle or uh, stratospheric systems, akin to the U.S. Navy's naval integrated fire control counter-air architecture, would, within the bounds of affordability, offer such an approach. It would also provide a means of countering Russia's focus on developing kinetic, including anti-satellite and electronic warfare approaches to targeting Western I-star assets in order to deny and disrupt battle space awareness and targeting capabilities. Conversely, though, the targeting, kinetic and non-kinetic, of Russian I-star capabilities could rapidly degrade Russia's ability to conduct long-range precision strikes, especially against mobile and maritime targets whilst forward-deployed forces operating together with allies, particularly in the Baltic and on the northern flank, could provide an outer-layer defence, although Russia's ability to conduct precision strikes within those regions is substantial. But most importantly, for the UK and our allies, the need for a robust deterrent is clear, especially as Russia seeks to redefine the post-Cold War settlement and challenge international order. The central role and importance of nuclear weapons in Russian strategy likewise emphasises the continued importance of maintaining the UK's nuclear deterrent. And in this regard, I would pose the question of whether the UK requires a second nuclear-capable system, such as an air-launched missile, to complement Trident, in particular to counter limited nuclear threats or use. Ultimately, the Russian threat reinforces the requirement for broad-based capabilities and globally deployable credible forces. This is, of course, not without cost. However, the alternative would entail a far greater price. Thank you, and I look forward to your questions. From across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading. Visit www.aerosociety.com to download more from this series and other multimedia content from the Royal Aeronautical Society. If you enjoyed this content, please consider showing your support for the Society. Share a link to this presentation by email or on your favourite social networks. If you have an interest in aerospace, consider the professional and personal benefits of membership. Visit www.aerosociety.com. This content is provided subject to our website and digital media terms of use. Please visit www.aerosociety.com for more information.